Once again, everyone, welcome to church. If it's your first time here or first time back in a while, we're so glad you're joining us, whether live or online right now. Um, We just want to prep you today um, by saying don't worry, uh, but this new series called Spiritual Warfare is a little bit of kind of a creepy church series, which I think is appropriate for this month of October, Um, but I promise you, uh, we are not some super crazy church. We're not going to get too weird on you or anything, okay? Great. All right. At this time, if the greeters can uh, come forward with the venomous snakes, I'm going to handle them. No, I'm just, we're not going to, we're not going to, we will never do that here, I promise you, okay? I hate snakes. But um, this is, this is a great time to be here again because today we're starting a brand new series uh, for the fall called Spiritual Warfare. And for the next month, we're going to talk about this idea of a supernatural world and how it plays a role in the natural, in the physical world that we live in. And as we talk about spiritual warfare, there are two, I think, um, very common mistakes that Christians or churches um, often make. One is that we can tend to overemphasize this topic, where we become so focused on a supernatural world um, that we start to see like a a demon behind every bush. And if if something bad happens, we kind of become like Dana Carvey's classic character in Saturday Night Live, the church lady. And uh, it's like, can somebody say Satan? Like, that's what we start thinking about, right? And, you know, you're, you're in a car wreck. You start blaming demons, but the truth is you were texting while driving. Or you say, you know, mom and dad, you know, the, the devil made me fail my exam. Forget the fact that you never studied for your exam, okay? So, so there can be an overemphasis on, on the supernatural. Uh, on the other end of the pendulum, there can really be an underemphasis where people in churches say, you know, I don't, I don't really want to talk about supernatural things that much. It's just, it's kind of weird. It's a little bit strange. It makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. So can we just like skip all of that supernatural stuff from the Bible? A uh, little, little known fact, it, it is one of the reasons historically why uh, churches would often skip the third verse or the third stanza when singing a hymn. For those of you who always wondered that, why do they sing the first and second and then skip the third? Um, because oftentimes in, in, the, in the old hymns, um, it represented the Trinity. And so the first stanza was often about God the Father, the second about God the Son, and the third was about the Holy Spirit, and they would just kind of avoid that a little bit. But o- over the, the next month, I want us to try to get a biblical perspective on this idea of there being a spiritual world and this concept of spiritual warfare that's talked about in scripture. In this series, we're gonna look at the reality of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in this world and in our lives. We're gonna look at the topic of demons. Are they real? What do they do in the world today? And we're gonna look at angels and what the Bible teaches us their purposes. And throughout this series, we're also going to ask this kind of big, important, overarching question. And that question is this, why does this matter, right? How does all this play into our lives? So are you guys ready? Awesome. Then let's start today by looking at what the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the church in Corinth. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. And as you guys get there, um, let's go ahead and pray together and open in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you're doing, again, in the lives of your people and what we've already seen this morning. And Father, as we get ready to launch into this series, I just pray that you would prepare our minds and hearts to 
receive what it is you want to teach us about this biblical concept of this supernatural, this spiritual world, and how it plays a role in our natural world. Father God, I pray that you would teach us something today that we could use in our lives that would help us to continue to make next steps in our walk with you. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 4. He said, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. To the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Paul says, even though we live in a physical world, guess what? There's another world. There's a spirit world. And in that world, there is a war raging. There's a battle going on between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And when we engage in a spiritual battle, we, we don't fight with weapons of this world. We're not fighting with tanks and fighter jets and submarines and nuclear weapons and all those kinds of things. Instead, we engage this battle with spiritual weapons, things like prayer and faith and God's word. So Paul teaches that there's a very real spiritual battle going on. Okay, Paul, well, how do we do battle? How does that happen? Ephesians 6 gives us some great insight, and here's what he teaches us in Ephesians 6, picking up in verse 10. He says this, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So we learn a couple things from this passage. First off, we learn that we're not strong enough to win this battle just through our own strength, just through our own power. We need God's strength. We also learn that we have an enemy. We have this spiritual enemy, and his name is Satan, and he hates our guts, and he's constantly planning and plotting and scheming to hurt all of us very badly. And so Paul says we need to be aware of that and we need to put on this full armor of God so we can stand against the devil's schemes. And we're going to get back to that in a little bit. And then in verse 12, he says this. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, so now we discover there's this spiritual battle occurring around us, and that our actual enemy is not other people. As we learned in our last series, God loves people. And because people matter to God, people should matter to us, right? What's our number one core value as a church? Loved people what? Love people, that's right. But we have the tendency, as we're in a spiritual battle, we have a tendency to, sometimes to start looking at other people as our enemy. You know, guess what? church, your, your battle, your enemy is not your government. Your battle is not against another political party or people from another political party. Your battle is not against your parents or your kids or your boss, okay? If you have a spouse and you think, pastor, you, you do not understand. I, I've got the spouse from hell. Like, I think I might have literally married Satan. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. And they probably think the same thing about you, by the way. But no, your battle is not against your spouse. Your battle is not against other people. Your battle is against the powers and principalities of this dark world. We live in a physical world, but there is also this unseen spiritual world. And we have to learn this important principle that, that what we see with our own physical eyes in this physical world is not all that there is. 
There is a whole nother world. Right now you might see me up here preaching, but there's so much more going on around that we don't even see. There's so much more than, than just what we see with our eyes. There's another world, a spiritual world that's just as real, and it influences our physical world. And we can learn a few kind of important principles about this spiritual world from Scripture. In fact, right now in your life, if you're facing a storm, if you're going through a battle right now and you're struggling through something in your life that's very, very difficult, you need to remember this. You're not alone in your battle. You're not alone. In fact, there's an interesting story recorded in Scripture. It's found in the book of 2 Kings, and it tells a story when Israel, when the nation of Israel was at war against the king of Aram. And in this war, God keeps telling the prophet Elijah, his prophet, all of the plans of the king of Aram. And Elisha, he keeps conveying these messages. He keeps warning the king of Israel of all the plans of the king of Aram. And so plan after plan after plan that the king of Aram has falls apart. And he just gets mad. I mean, the king of Aram starts to get ticked off. And at first, he thinks he has a mole. He thinks there's a spy in his ranks that's telling his secrets. But his top generals tell him, no, all of your generals, we're loyal to you. But Israel has this prophet of God named Elisha, and he hears everything. Like, God tells him everything, even the things you talk about in your bedroom, king. And so the king kind of freaks out, and he decides to send an army. He's like, well, that's the problem. I'm going to send an army, and we're going to crush Elisha. We're going to get rid of him. We're going to take that chess piece off the board. And there was a servant who was with the prophet Elijah. He kind of was, you know, the person who walked with him and traveled with him and assisted him. And this, this servant gets to see a glimpse of the spiritual world. He wakes up one morning and they're in this little town and he wakes up to this incredible shocking scene. It takes place in 2 Kings 6.15 and it says this. It says that when the servant of the man of God got up and he went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, exclamation mark. What shall we do? The servant asks. Now, I kind of looked this up. The Hebrew translation for, oh, no, my Lord, is I'm so scared I'm pooping my pants right now. Okay, that's basically what the servant is thinking. The servant of the prophet Elijah is terrified. He's messing himself. He wakes up in the morning. He goes outside, and it's the two of them, and an entire army has surrounded the town to get them. And he's thinking, we're dead meat. All right, butter my buns, we're toast. That's what he's thinking. The man he worked for, the prophet Elijah, okay, he wakes him up. He's like, Elijah, look what's happening. And something fascinating happens. Elijah is just relaxed. He doesn't have a care in the world. He's just sipping his coffee. He's just chill. And the servant couldn't figure it out. And he's like, Elijah, how are you so relaxed right now? How is that possible. And then Elisha says this in verse 16. He says, don't be afraid. Really, Elijah? Like, we're surrounded by an army. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, at this point, the servant is probably thinking that Elisha has lost his flipping mind, right? He's like, what are you talking about, Elisha? Are you drunk? 
Are you high? Like, there's a freaking army around the city, and there's two of us. We are completely outnumbered. And then Elisha starts to pray. In verse 17, Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God gave him a glimpse into this supernatural, spiritual world, and he realized that God's angels and warriors were everywhere around them and that he was not in this battle alone because there is another world. There is a spiritual world, and God was with them. The reality of the spiritual world also teaches us another important principle, and it's about prayer. We need to recognize that our prayers are far more powerful than we know. Oftentimes, we go to prayer as a last resort in a crisis. Really, prayer should be our first resort because of how powerful it is. And there may be times in your life where you pray. You may have experienced this. Times in your life where you've prayed and you felt like nothing happened. Nothing is happening. Has anyone been there? Yeah, we've been there. But, but recognize this, your prayers are far more powerful than you know. And there's a great example of this from the Old Testament when Daniel, do you guys remember him, the guy who survived the lion's den, that Daniel? He was praying one time, and he was fervently praying to God, and it was like nothing happened. Like days went by, weeks went by, nothing happened. But then one day, a messenger angel came to him and delivers this message to him. And this story is recorded in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. And this is what the angel said to him. Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. Can you imagine that? So, so Daniel's like fervently praying this prayer for help, and it seems to him in his physical world that God is silent. Three weeks go by, and it seems like there's no, nothing happens, no, no hint of anything from God. But in reality, as soon as he prayed, God released an angel but for 21 days, it did battle against an evil spirit that was trying to block its way to Daniel. And then Michael, the archangel, came and kind of bailed him out so he could get by and he could make it to Daniel. See, what you can see in the physical world is not all that there is. There's a very real battle going on right now in a spiritual world, not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of darkness. We have a spiritual enemy named Satan. And what does he do? Well, lots of things. But today we're going to look at five specific things that we can learn from Scripture on how the enemy goes to spiritual war against us. Five tricks and traps of the devil we're going to unpack this morning. So if you're taking notes, number one is this. Satan loves to blind our minds. Satan loves to blind our minds. For example, right now, there might be several of you, you know, here today or watching online who would say, you know what, if I'm being honest, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm not even sure what I really believe about God. Well, right now, as you hear God's word in church, 
Sometimes it's going to be hard for you to pay attention. I mean, your mind might start wandering to other things. You're going to be thinking, did I leave the stove on at home? Those of you who are worriers here this morning, I apologize, because now for the rest of the message, you're going to be wondering if you left the stove on at home, right? But he tries to distract our minds. He tries to blind our mind to the truth. He, he doesn't want you to hear truth because if you start to hear and if you start to experience truth in your life, the truth can set you free. Truth can change you. It can change the direction of your life. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says this, Satan, who's the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ. The second trick he loves to do is this. If you're taking notes, number two, Satan loves to steal God's word away. Satan loves to steal God's word away. He tries to rob you of God's word. For example, there may have been times in your life where you heard something. You heard a spiritual truth about God and something inside of you sparked. And you started to think and you started to question. You started to wonder. It piqued a spiritual curiosity in you. And you thought, maybe this is real. Maybe I need to embrace this. Maybe I need to think more about this. And then you went to bed and you got up the next day. And it was like the thought was gone and you were just back to life as normal. And then later you wondered, what was I even thinking about yesterday? I can't remember exactly what it was. Where did it go? Why did it vanish? Jesus tells us why it might have vanished in Matthew 13, 19. He says, when, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown into their heart. A third thing he loves to do is this. Number three, Satan loves to set traps. Satan loves to set traps. He wants to trap you into a lifestyle of destructive sin in your life. Have you ever noticed that? That if you ever have like an area of vulnerability in your life, and all of us are different, and all of us maybe have different vulnerabilities, but if you have an area of vulnerability in your life, some area of weakness, something always tries to target that and to tempt you to fall for that weakness. I mean, maybe you're trying to leave the party lifestyle and as soon as you say, you know what, I'm leaving this lifestyle, your friends show up with a keg and they say, hey, we're hanging out tonight. You're trying to purify your mind and the next thing you know, there's an image that comes on television, you know, it creates a lustful thought in your mind. If you're trying to get out of debt, you see an ad for an incredible sale on something you've been thinking about, right? It's all traps. Wherever you're weak is where he likes to attack. Number four, Satan always fights to stop you from taking a next step. Satan always fights to stop you from taking a next step. He fights to stop the work of God in your life. For example, you get a sense from God, hey, I need to do something. I need to take a next step in this area. You just watch how Satan will try to block you from taking that step. You, you may feel called to take a next step and to get baptized, but then you start worrying about, well, I don't know if I could be in front of people. That might be embarrassing. What would they think about me? Or life all of a sudden becomes too busy. I really can't make that date. Maybe I'll do another date. And you put it off and you put it off and you put it off. By the way, the baptism is still going. So any of you want to stick around today, we will baptize you at the end of this service. You may think about giving God first place in your finances. And you say, you know what? I want to work to get out of debt. 
I want to start giving God priority. I'm going to start to tithe to my church. And the next day your car engine explodes and you get a bill. It's an attack. Or, or you decide, you know, I want to have a great marriage. My spouse and I, we're going to start to pray together. We're going to love unconditionally. We're going to make God first in our marriage. And as you leave church, all of a sudden, all hell breaks out in, in the car ride home and you're, you're cussing each other out in the car ride. What happened? Spiritual warfare, the forces of darkness are trying to stop you from taking a next step that God has called you to take. So what does Satan do? He blinds the mind. He tries to steal away the truth of God's word. He sets up traps. He tries to block you from taking a next step in your walk with God. And finally, number five, Satan plots to destroy you. That's his ultimate goal. He wants to take you out. Look at what the word of God says in 1 Peter 5.8. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And notice, check it out. He compares him to a lion, which is from the cat family. That's all I'm saying. You put the pieces together, okay? Cats are evil. But seriously, the evil one is prowling around. Can I pick you off? Are you vulnerable? Can I destroy you? Understand this. He hates you with a venomous hate. He wants to devour that which belongs and matters to the heart of God. He wants to devour and destroy your marriage. He wants to devour your influence in the world. He loves to see Christians get trapped in habitual sin or get caught up in it being about religion and rules instead of living out a love relationship with a heavenly father. He loves to see people hooked on drugs and alcohol and pornography. He wants to devour your finances. He loves debt and financial bondage so you're always stressed out about money and always worried about money and you can't give and be generous. He loves sickness and disease and pain. He wants to destroy your relationship with God. He hates you. So how do you fight back? How do you engage an entity like that in spiritual warfare? Well, let's go to Ephesians 6. And for the last few minutes of our time together, we're going to kind of unpack how do we fight back in this spiritual war. Here's what it says in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, stand. Stand firm then with, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So let's break that down this morning. We're going we're to kind of start with the head and work our way down to the feet as we look at this armor. The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. You're not saved because you're perfect. We say that all the time around here. There are no perfect people here. And I'll prove it to you. Raise your hand if you've sinned at least 100 times in your life. Look around the room. If your hand's not up, you're a liar. You're sinning right now, okay? Everybody's hand is in the air. Okay, now raise your hand if you sinned on the car ride here. So you don't have to do that. I was just, that was a... 
just kidding. Some of you are like, how did he know? <laughs> did I flip him off on the way here? Was that him? But, but you're not saved by your good works. You're saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He was the only one who was perfect. And he willingly sacrificed himself on the cross to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. You're saved because of who Jesus is and because of what he did for you. And when you really know that, when you know that you know that, your mind is protected. You're secure in Christ because you recognize that nobody can snatch that out of your hand. Your head is protected because you're wearing the helmet of the knowledge of your salvation. We also have on the breastplate of righteousness. Scripture says that your heart can lie to you. Do you know that? Your heart can deceive you. Your heart can lead you into making a bad choice in life or a bad decision. You know, somebody's stepping into an affair because they think their heart is leading them there. The breastplate of righteousness, it guards your heart. See, you're not righteous because you're good. Scripture says there's no one righteous, not even one. In fact, the Bible teaches that our best attempts at righteousness are like filthy rags in front of a holy, perfect, righteous God. But when you fully surrender your heart to God, when you make him first in every area of life, when you go all in with him, as we talked about last week, his Holy Spirit fills you and begins to transform you from the inside out as you walk daily, step by step by step, in a love relationship with the king of the universe. And as you do this, as you go all in, you begin to lean towards God, and you become more and more and more like his son, Jesus. And guess what? Through that, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can have victory over sin in your life. You don't have to be a prisoner of sin and say, oh, well, that's just what I got to do. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can have victory over sin. That's called holiness. That's sanctification. And then when your spiritual enemy, when he starts hurling fiery darts and accusations at you, you deflect them with the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Ever wonder why you often have negative thoughts that come into your mind? Stinking thinking about yourself. Those are the fiery darts of the evil one. You're nothing. You're no good. You're pathetic. You don't measure up. You're not enough. You could never make a difference. After what you did, could anyone ever love you? If they knew about your past, would anyone love you? You're nothing. Fiery darts constantly attacking your mind and heart. What do you do? You put up the shield of faith and you say, I'm not going to believe those lies. I'm not going to believe that stinking thinking. That is an attack from the enemy. When Satan points his bony finger at you, you grab that finger and you snap it. Instead, you say, I believe I'm who Jesus says I am. I believe that he created me on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose in this life. He says, greater is the one who lives in me than the one who lives in the world. He says, God loves me unconditionally, and he offers me a hope, and he offers me a future. Then we also have the belt of truth, which is good news because you'd hate to be in a fight with your pants falling down, right? But it doesn't just look good. The belt of truth sets you free. Why? Because Satan is the father of lies. He's the deceiver. 
Sometimes his lies are just ever so subtle too. But we defeat the lies with truth found in God's word because the truth of God can overcome the lies of Satan. And then finally, you run the race of life with the shoes of the gospel of peace. Your feet are planted in the peace of God, knowing that no matter what I'm going through in life, God is with me. And when others look at you, I mean, you could be in the middle of a battle. You could be in the middle of the greatest storm of your life, and people will look at you and they'll be like, why are you so calm? And you're like, I just have this supernatural peace that goes beyond all human understanding because I just know I'm not alone, that God loves me, that he's with me, and that ultimately he's in control, just like how the prophet Elisha was when the city was surrounded by that army that we talked about a little bit earlier. And then, not only do we have armor, but we also have a weapon in this battle. Our weapon is this, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You spend time in God's Word and you internalize it. You fight Satan the same way that Jesus did. When Jesus was tempted in Scripture three different times, three different temptations, Jesus responded to the attack of Satan each time by quoting Scripture. He said, no, that's a lie, for it is written. And he would quote the word of God. He resisted the devil, and eventually the devil fled, Satan fled, and then the angels came and ministered to Jesus. Now, as we talked about this armor today, did you notice anything missing from this armor? I mean, your front side is covered, right? You've got this, the breastplate and the shield, and, and you've got all this stuff. But did you notice what was missing? Your back, right? The back is vulnerable. Why is that? Because you don't run from Satan. And because you need other believers in your life who are going to guard your back. You need other people in your life, right? Growing people, grow with people. People who are going to pray for you and encourage you and hold you accountable and support you when you're about to fall, no matter what. All right, we've covered a lot today at the start of this series. But as we end today, I just want you guys to remember these kind of three core truths of what we talked about today. So if you don't get anything else that we talked about, I just pray that you would grasp these and firmly hold on to these important truths. Number one is this, you're not alone in your battles. You're not alone in your battles. You might feel alone right now, but if you feel like you're facing a battle in life that's too big to win, my prayer is that God would open your eyes the way he did to Elisha's servant and that you would see you are not alone, that he is with you. And then embrace this truth, number two, that prayer is powerful. Again, there may be times in your life where you pray and you feel like, man, nothing's happening. But just like when Daniel prayed and he didn't see anything happen, God heard the prayer and God is at work. He's always at work, even when we can't see. And then finally, remember this, we battle with spiritual weapons. What do we have? We have the helmet of salvation that reminds us who we are in Christ. We have the breastplate of righteousness that we can pursue holiness, that we can go all in with God, be filled with his Holy Spirit. We have the shield of faith to combat those negative stinking thoughts. We have the belt of truth to fight the lies of the enemy. We have the shoes of the gospel of peace to remember that God is with us through any storm. And we have the sword of the spirit, the word of God, to fight the attacks of the enemy. And above all else, remember this, as followers of Jesus, when we fight, 
when we fight in spiritual warfare, we don't fight for victory. Did you know that? We fight in victory. Why? Because Jesus has already won the battle. I mean, he defeated Satan. He rose from the grave. The apostle John tells us, the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. We can have ultimate victory over sin and over Satan through the Holy Spirit of God who lives in us. But we'll save that topic for next time. Can we pray together, church, with heads bowed, eyes closed? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bring victory in these spiritual battles. For a lot of us, maybe for the first time ever, we're starting to have an understanding. We're starting to recognize that there is a spiritual battle going on in our lives. There's a battle going on for some relationships, a battle going on for our kids and for their future, a battle going on for our finances, a battle going on for our health. There are forces that are fighting for and against us. And we need to ask you, God, for strength in this battle. We need to fight God, not on our strength and power, but in your strength and power. If you're here today and watching online maybe, and, and as I was speaking, God just, God just spoke to your heart today and a light bulb came on and something came to mind and you would say this morning, yes, pastor, today I recognize I'm in the middle of some spiritual battle in my life and, and I, I just wanna ask God for help in that battle. I need his power. I need his strength. If that's you, would you just, just lift a hand right now and say, God, that's me. I'm in a battle. I need your power. I need your strength. Wow. Lots of hands going up all over the room this morning. God, I thank you for every person that's just being honest today, that's expressing a need before you. And God, I thank you that you're the God who knows every single detail in every single life situation here. And I pray, God, on behalf of those who are in a spiritual battle right now, I ask that you would do, God, what only you can do. Today, we want to put on all of your spiritual armor, and we ask God for a supernatural victory in the spiritual world and then in the physical world. And God, we thank you ahead of time. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do. We know that you're working. Even when we don't see it, we know that you're working and that you're always with us. And we draw incredible peace and comfort from that truth. And when Satan attacks God, we thank you that your word is clear that when we resist him, he must flee. And that through your son, Jesus, we have already won the victory. God, teach us to battle not by our own strength and power, but in your strength and power. And we pray all of these things today in the powerful name of your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, continue to sing, celebrate what God is doing. Hey
Father, we come before you this day. We thank you for being the God of glory, the God who's in control of any storm in life. You're the God who who holds everything in your hands. God, I pray that you would give us wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard today from this incredible account from Ephesians, Lord. For us to be able to have an understanding of who our enemy is, in this spiritual warfare and how we can have victory through your power, God. God, for some of us, I pray that we would have the courage to take action, to do something about it, to make some changes in our life, to put on the full armor of God so that we can repel all the attacks of the enemy and that we can live a life of victory in this world. God, thanks for loving us. Thanks for caring about every struggle, every need, no matter how big or how small. We love you. We thank you for being the incredible God that you are, the God of love, the God of grace, the God of relationship, the God who invites us to call you our heavenly father, that you call us your sons and daughters, that we are princes and princesses, of the king of the universe. How amazing are you, God? We love you. We pray for every person who's dealing with the storm of life right now. Would they be encouraged and reminded this week that they are never alone, that there is power in prayer, and for them to know how to fight the attacks of the enemy through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the armor of God, Thank you, God. We love you. We praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. I hope you have an awesome week. Hope to see you back here next week as we continue in part two of spiritual warfare. For our baptism candidates, I want to remind you, we have a gift for you here on the front pew. We'd love for you to come get your baptism certificate and a gift. Take a picture of you guys. Um, Anyone who wants to stick around, again, the water's still warm. If you want to go public with your decision, we invite you to do it.
I see.